Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Justice a podcast exploring all areas of the justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. In this episode, I speak to Sarah Beresford, Prison Reform Trust Associate and Churchill Fellow. Sarah is also the author of What About Me? A report which explores how children's lives are impacted when their mothers are involved in the criminal justice system. In this episode, Sarah describes how children are so often invisible to decision makers and explains how her recently developed child impact assessment can equip adults and services to listen more closely to the needs of those with mothers in the criminal justice system. My name's Sarah Beresford. I'm an associate of the Prison Reform Trust, and I'm also a Churchill Fellow. So I'm being funded by the Churchill Fellowship to work really closely with the Prison Reform Trust uh, around child impact assessments for children with a mum in the criminal justice system. Okay, and could you um, elaborate on what the child impact assessment is and why we need them? Yeah, so I've worked for many years in the field of supporting children affected by imprisonment and I've been really aware for a long time that there we've talked about we need to recognise children, we need to offer them support, but there hasn't really been anything concrete. I think there's often been a what does that mean question lurking in the air. So I um, com- I wrote a report for the Prison Reform Trust in 2019, I think, managed to check the date, 2018, 2019, around the impact of children with a mum in the criminal justice system. And it was really out of that that I thought, what does this mean when we're asking, we're making these recommendations for more support, we're saying children should be better recognised, but what would that look like? And it was one of the women in an approved premises here in Liverpool. She said, you know, you get victim impact statements. Why don't you have child impact statements? And it just kind of set off a light bulb in my head of, yeah, we we need to have something that allows children to say how they're feeling, but really importantly, to be part of decision-making around any support they might need. Just on that, because I guess the differentiation of a victim impact statement is that a child can still be the indirect victim of a victim (laughs) yeah are you following me and that so therefore they need their own separate impact statements is that right so if their mother for example was the victim of domestic abuse sometimes the child doesn't get recognized at all exactly and you know children of people in the criminal justice system are are the hidden victims if you like of crimes that they haven't committed but they pay a very heavy price for 
in being separated and particularly when it's mums you know that's a huge price to pay for children all the the grief and loss and and all of that and yet there's very little support and almost no recognition all the way along the journey nobody's asking the question what about the children what do the children need and this was my way of giving people a framework if you like to to do that to say well hang on a minute what about the children what's the impact been on them and what is it that they need so I got together with some children and young people because I'm a great believer of I can talk about people but it's the people who've lived it themselves who really know it so we got together and I said, what what would that look like then? What is it you want people to ask you at the different stages? And we put together this really simple set of questions. They're open questions. We don't use any jargon. They're asking simply, and this came from the children and young people themselves, you know, how are you feeling? Um, how are you doing? And they wanted those to be in really, they wanted those to be separate questions because they said, you know, I might be feeling really angry and upset and, and missing mum, but actually doing okay. And they a lot of them said to me, I don't want people assuming that everything's awful because of mum. I might be feeling upset. One girl said, because the dog died. And she said, I hate it when my teachers, everything's referenced about mum being in prison and it isn't always about that. So they wanted those questions to be in there, but separately, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Um, are you coping? You know, how are you coping? And then, you know, what questions do you have? So just really asking, asking open questions. Is there anything? What support do you feel you need? What is it that um, who could help you and what could they do? And I think often when we're working with children and young people, we fear questions like that in case they ask for a CALMS referral, you know, children and adolescent mental health. And the kind of things that the children were saying to me was, I just want like an extra long phone call with my mum. I want to meet her in a room in the prison by myself because <laughs> I want to tell her something private. Or uh, one woman, young woman said to me, you know, I, I watched my mum being arrested and it was really difficult and traumatic. And I wish that I had had an opportunity to speak to the police after that and tell them what that felt like for me. You know, so they're not the children, young people are not asking for really high end, complicated, expensive interventions, as important as those often are. They're wanting really deliverable, doable things that we should be doing but if, right. if we listen to them. And then do you get to do the things that they want? So if they say, obviously, having a room to themselves in a prison on visits is probably impossible. So how do you manage yeah. that? So that is a really good question, Edwina, because not all of the actions will be immediately deliverable. But I think what's really important is that children feel their voices are being heard and they can express what it is they need. So what we're looking at is who does the child impact assessment with children? And I might come back to that around giving them a choice in that. And then that person very much focusing on, on the actions, but written in the children's own words. And I think whatever children are say that they want, we can at least say, do you know what? Let's ask. Let's ask and let's look at that. And I think the more we ask and the more we prisons hear that message, I was in... Um, at an event in Northern Ireland yesterday, and one of the prisons there has exactly that, a, a separate, a small room where families can meet privately. Now, it's one room for a whole prison, but it's a start. And I think the more children are able to say, that's important to me, that's what I want, the more we, we can start addressing those. And I think we can be honest with children and say, this may not happen, but let's ask. And it's really important that you've said that that's what you would like, we, you know, Children are not, you know, they're intelligent, they get it, they know it's a big complicated system, but it's the being listened to that's the bit I think is really key 
Um, yeah, and I think the more we do encourage them to speak out and ask for things that should be deliverable, the more we might have a slightly different justice system. Okay, and at what point did you say is it that um, this assessment might be done? Yeah, so it's designed to track mum's journey through, so following her arrest, at uh, the point of her court and sentencing, uh, going to prison or community sentence, and then prior to her release. So it's 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 designed for those key times that can be accessed, though, at any time. Okay, so someone in the police custody suite could write it or someone in the magistrate's court could do it or someone in the prison could do it? Unlikely that those people would be doing the assessment, but we're not ruling that out. What we're saying to children and families is, who is it that you would like to do an assessment like this with you? But those people you've mentioned, so police, probation, prison staff, have a really key role in flagging it and saying to families, there is this assessment, is that something that would be helpful? And then built into it is about giving children choice. So allowing them to choose who is the adult in their life that they would like to sit down with and, and talk about these things with. So it doesn't fit neatly into a set um, process or referral route, if you like, which is, I think, a huge opportunity and its biggest challenge because I think it's everyone's responsibility to think about children and what's happened is it's become nobody's. And what we're trying to say with this is let's put it back on everybody's agenda. So what if following an arrest, the police said, you know, there are children in this house, there's a, 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 a child impact assessment might be really helpful for them to talk about what's happened here. There's an organisation locally that provides that kind of support or there may be someone at school that could help. Who is it? It's asking those questions, offering to families um, and giving them the opportunity to be involved in that themselves. OK, so, for example, if a single mother was arrested and she had two kids, five and two, for example, and she gets taken to the police custody suite because she's been arrested... What happens to the children? I know I'm digressing slightly off um, your topic, but I guess it's related. It's a really good question. At the moment, what happens is inc incredibly ad hoc. We hear stories often of children not being collected from nursery or school because mum just isn't there. That The police have very much focused, understandably, on the arrest, but haven't perhaps considered... Um, the children around. So at the, at the moment, it's an incredibly ad hoc situation. Grandmothers often end up picking the up the pieces or family friends. And I'd like to see a better system where police, um, and it's not just about the police, but, but around arrest, where police are, are really thinking about the children and the impact and asking the question, is there someone that we could call or you could call right now about your children? Is, do they need picked up from somewhere? One woman um, in HMP Peterborough recently told me that she was um, arrested as um, her partner had already left the house and the police didn't even let her phone him. The, the, the children were just left. Now, she created such a scene that they eventually let her phone her mother who could come round, but it was not initially on their radar. And these children were, uh, I think her son was eight and her daughter was ten now, that is too young to just leave children in a house that the police, have, I think, have a duty of care there. And she shouldn't have had to, in her words, create a scene to, to, to achieve that outcome. It's, it's going in and offering those things in a way that's preemptive rather than reactive. Yeah, because surely, you know, what the police don't want is for people to be kicking off and causing a scene. So why would you not behave in a way that... <laughs> 
exactly. make sure people don't have to behave like that. Yeah, and it's just balancing. You know, the police have a really key role to play in in, in arrests, and 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 they have pressures on them. But uh, from from the conversations I've had with police, they do want to be mindful. They don't want to leave children abandoned. You know, and, uh, another story I heard was a, a a child cowering under a bed while the arrest was taking place downstairs. It was obvious that there was at least a child in the house by by the things that were around, but nobody asked. The arrest happened. She was 14, but still, that's very young to just be left cowering under a bed. And nobody asked at the point of arrest, Do, are there children here in the house? Is there someone we could phone or you could phone to help look after that child, you know, that's 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 not acceptable. And I think with the impact assessment, it's trying to get children onto everybody's radar. So we're all asking the question, hang on a minute, what about the children? Okay. What stage is it at? Or how long have these been in sort of circulation, if you like? So I'm involved in the moment in a consultation process. What I'm doing is I've written it with children and now I, I've circulated it far and wide uh, for consultation and people are feeding back to me. I've had some great responses from children and young people with lived experience, from mums, from practitioners who work with women and or children. I've been speaking to policymakers and what I'm doing is drawing all that feedback together. And in October, I'm going to publish a toolkit and that will be that will have the revised impact assessment in it. Really importantly, alongside it are accompanying notes. And that's about that's in recognition that um, the child impact assessment could be used by, for example, a teacher who hasn't had any training on the impact of of, of, of imprisonment, you know, or, or doesn't understand women in the criminal justice system. So the accompanying notes are really key because they give background information. They make it really clear that trauma is is often around, and a trauma informed approach is absolutely key. They give um, points of reference for further resources. So in theory, the child impact assessment could be used by any adult in that child's life. And children are often telling me it's a teacher or a youth worker. I heard a wonderful story a few years ago um, before this really became a concrete thing, but where a child wanted to speak to the dinner lady because he had a really good relationship with her. And I think that it, that we need to listen to that. There's a child who that nobody would have guessed that that was the adult that really mattered to him. None of us should be guessing. Um, we should be asking, not guessing, because these children do have agency and often it's the agency that's been taken away from them or that they've never had. And, you know, if they're able to talk, then they should be able to talk and adults should be able to listen. Exactly. And that's a really interesting point about being able to talk because I'm also looking at how do you assess the impact on very young children or children with learning difficulties. And there are ways of doing that where adults can step into their shoes. Midwives, you know, I've spoken to some midwives who say, you know, babies can talk if we just tune in and listen to their body language and children with learning difficulties similarly. So I think, yeah, but absolutely, we, we giving them choice, giving them agency, listening to what, what they're saying. And we've had, you know, in this country, some tragic news stories of children who have died whose mothers have entered the criminal justice system, they've gone into the care of other family members and they've died in the care of those people because we did not ask the question, what about the child? What about the impact on them? Is this suitable? We didn't ask. And it's that, it's you know, saying, hang on a minute, and giving the child an opportunity to, to talk and to share and to say the, the difficult things. And I think at the heart of this for me, it's about laying aside any assumptions that we have 
and really listening to what that child is saying. So even if we think, oh, you're probably better off not seeing mum or whatever it is, that, that's irrelevant in the sense that it's about what that child is saying. Now, obviously, there are safeguarding measures that we need to be aware of, but we can still start by listening and asking children how they feel and then go on the journey of exploring with them about what, what, where that might end up. Does that make sense? So it's really, start, our starting point is, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What's going on for you here? And as you say, this isn't just a criminal justice system thing, is it? So um, you said it could be used by teachers. So what if you had a, um, a particularly sort of, not a tricky child at school, but a child that was sort of being a bit challenging, might that be a time that a teacher might say, oh, I might just do a impact, a child impact assessment? Yeah, well, so this impact assessment is designed specifically for children with a mother in the criminal justice system. I think it, it would have wider use. And, and the idea is that teachers are key people who may be completing it with children. Um, but again, a lot of teachers say to me, you know, and I am a, a, a teacher in a former life. I, I used to be in teaching. And in fact, it was while teaching three children whose mum was sentenced to life in prison that I realised hang on a minute, there is no training for teachers, there's no information. So I, I left education, jumped into criminal justice system because I thought, into criminal justice because I thought, we've got to do something here. And teachers are, are really, really key. And yet they're often saying, we, we don't know what to do. We, 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 we don't understand the issues. And what this the accompanying notes is an attempt to do is to say, you've got all the skills there actually you, you know you you we often fear it's to do with criminal justice we panic but actually the way we relate and understand to people is universal regardless of the issues yeah exactly and um did you say it's just for mothers who've gone into the prison or is it fathers as well or is it because the mothers are usually the primary carers so i'm starting this with mothers because harriet harman did an inquiry as part of the human Right. Yeah, the Joint Committee on Human Rights, I think Thank it was. Yeah. And one of their recommendations was to, to better assess the impact on children. So there was, there's been that impetus for a while of when it's a primary carer, there's even more reason to do this. But absolutely all children with a father or any family member in prison. So I've already begun adapting it for, for use. Um, I'm liaising very closely with uh, charities that work with families affected by imprisonment and they very quickly said, we need this tool for children with a dad in prison. And so we're, we're adapting it, absolutely. But the reason I focused on, on children where it's mum is because of that. If, if she's the one that's been there and looking after you, and even if you haven't had, hadn't had contact with her before she enters the criminal justice system, what children said to me was, it's really difficult when it's your mum. It's there's something about that 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 makes it particularly hard, and I think that was my starting point. Uh, yeah. And also, our sentencing guidelines quite clearly say if there are children, you know, if it's a primary carer, that can uh, be taken into consideration at sentencing, and I think should be. But but again, there's no way. What does that mean? Sentences. So this the impact assessment would work beautifully in that context. So a pre-sentence report might flag that there are children. And you might get a little bit in a good pre-sentence report. You might get a little bit of information about those children. But what women told me is you never get child-centered information about what they're really feeling and what the impact on the children is in the pre-sentence report. And often pre-sentence reports are scant anyway. But if a pre-sentence report were to trigger that there are children, probation staff could then say, actually, there's a child impact assessment here. Is there somebody that you would like to complete this with? And we can feed it into the sentencing information for that for the, the magistrates or the judge and that's 
I think so that so that whoever's doing the sentencing has a full picture. Okay, so then the magistrate sort of opens the pre-sentence report on that day. It's clearly flagged that um, there might be one child um, in relation to this woman, perhaps standing in front of them. Um, But then they get a little bit of information about that child and how they're feeling and what the impact might be on them. Yeah, and they and they understand that a custodial sentence is going to mean that child might have to um, to, to move home and, and live with another family member. If there's a group of siblings, it might mean the siblings might need to be split up. What we're not saying is that the child impact assessment will influence sentencing. But I think there are many cases, especially those on the cusp, where it should be taken into consideration and robust community alternatives are always going to be better. And we know that from the research, short prison sentences don't work. They're long enough to disrupt a woman's life and her children's and not long enough for any meaningful intervention. And I think for those cusp uh, cases, absolutely uh, robust community alternatives are, are better. And the child impact assessment can really flag those and, and, and give a fuller picture of what what this is going to mean, what you know, what a six month prison sentence is going to mean for for John, who's 10 and for Sam, who's eight. And I think for sentences to enter into that is really important because it's 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 not just the woman before them. It's her children come come very much into that as well. Exactly. I mean, I imagine one of the problems and certainly one of the problems I hear from magistrates is, well, look, you know, I'd love to give a woman um, a community sentence, maybe because of abuse they're suffering in the community at the hands of um, a man, be it an abusive partner, drug dealer, pimp. But actually, the community services that maybe were once there, maybe before the privatisation of probation, you know, they just simply don't exist. So actually, it's not a great option. But I feel like my only option actually is to send her to custody which is a bit of a sad state of affairs that we sort of find ourselves in, isn't it? I think it's hugely sad. I think the the recent review of the female offender strategy highlighted the 9.5, and I'm, I'm not totally confident on my figures, but around 9.5 million for community interventions and, you know, 200 million for more prison places. And it, and that, that, that says it there, right there, doesn't it, that absolutely we need to look at funding going into community provision, robust alternatives to custody, you know, meaningful interventions. And that's what I think there's often a fear among policymakers and government about how the public might react. And actually, the public wants safer communities. Exactly. It's the thing I always talk about, which is often, if we want a desired outcome, and we are all the same in the fact that we want to live in safer communities, you know, we want to feel safe ourselves when we're out late at night, and we all want the same outcome. We know, therefore, how we need to treat people. And actually, we know what we need to do to sort of help people become less violent and all the rest of it. But it's unpalatable to some people to help those that need to become less violent and to put the money into those things. But it's like, but but it's the right thing to do. So it doesn't matter whether it's unpalatable or not. It is, you know, what the evidence says we should be doing. And that's where the investment should be going. And it really irritates me that it always comes down to the political point scoring, like, let's smash a load of money into building prisons, and then all the red tops and the voters will go, well, hey, you know, and it's, we know it doesn't work. Exactly. And I think it often feels unpalatable to people when they think about it in the general, you know, so people in prison. But when they hear Joan's story, you know, who had four children and who got a four-year prison sentence when she'd been living in a, you know, in a relationship of domestic abuse, you know, they, they, 
most people really feel that and, and get it. And I think for me, it's about helping people enter into the stories of those and, and, and included in that is their children as well. What is, what's the reality, the impact when your mum is, is sentenced to prison? And, and it's enormous. And I think even the coldest of hearts when it comes to the children who have not committed any crime whatsoever, they do begin to get it. And I think there's something for me about this is definitely I'm hopeful that it's a way in for people to say, yeah, actually, we do need to do something for children in and of their own right, because, as you exactly said, Edwina, it's the right thing to do. And we need to move away from that really unhelpful message of we need to support children whose parents are in the criminal justice system so that they don't go there too. That's a damning, unhelpful, you know, negative message that just destroys young people. They they get really upset about that. And actually, I've met some extraordinary young people who've risen above the most difficult of situations with the right support. That's the key, isn't it? And, and I think that's what this is attempting to do to say, you know, you have a right to support and, and you have a right to be a part of what that looks like, to, to be able to say, I don't want to, um, you know, I, I want to, to, to write a letter to mum to tell her how I'm feeling or I want to yeah have that extra visit in the prison, whatever it is, a right to be listened to for those things that really matter to those children. And how long did you say you'd been working on this? So, I mean, it's been percolating away. So officially from last August, it'd been percolating away before that. But And then we're going to publish the toolkit in October. And that's going to be, I hope, a really... What I felt was nobody needs another report saying all the things that we already know <laughs> with a set of recommendations that have already been written to a group of people who've already read them and not implemented them. Just with a different date on them. With a different date, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I... I find that really disheartening sometimes, if I'm honest. So I've moved away from a report and realised that what would be really helpful is a practical toolkit for uh, partnership groups like Women's Alliances, um, local authorities, PCCs, criminal justice boards, who often have strategies that say this, you know, reduce women's offending, increase support for children. But they don't have a, well, what does that mean? (laughs) They don't know how to do that. And my toolkit, I'm hoping, is going to answer that question, at least in part, you know, be practical. This is how we can better support children. This is a way of doing that. These are some practical considerations. Here are some resources. I made a podcast with children and young people a few weeks ago speaking about their experience and their thoughts about probation. And we played it at an HMPPS Think Child campaign just last week. The impact was extraordinary because these were young people. They it sounded like we'd scripted it. I had to say to them, we did not script this. They said, you know, I think probation staff need better trained and they need to understand what it's like for us. One young man said, I want to meet a probation officer. If he's making all these decisions about my dad, I want him to know and understand what that means for me. You know, everything they said was amazing and spot on because they're living it. And so the toolkit will have resources like that in it, a podcast, possibly a little video um, that people can access that will support the work that they're doing, but very much focus on the how do we do this? Not a little bit, of course, about why we need to, but we've, we know that, <laughs> but how? And how are you going to cascade that information? How are you going to make sure that it's disseminated to, you know, the people who are doing the child-centred policing and the sentences and the... What's the plan there? Yeah. That's a really, really good question. So that's where PRT is really, the Prison Reform Trust is, is great on that. So they're really 
greater those those channels of dissemination and already i've had lots of meetings with interested groups and pcc groups and uh, local authorities and um, criminal justice boards around the country so they're all kind of primed and waiting which is great so we'll start there and and we will shout loud and, about it and we'll get the children young people to do that as well and built into the tool will be um ways of evaluating it as well so that um, and, and I'm going to be suggesting that we start small, you know, let's start small with what with what works and then build from there. Let's not try and aim to change the whole justice system by next March. But if we start um, small with with existing relationships and we know that that's what works, relationships, trust, partnership, integrated services um, in a way that families don't have to keep repeating their story, you know, how we share information, all of that will will be reflected in this toolkit. I always find if you do that bit properly at the beginning, which feels like it's slow, but actually it's so important. You have to be methodical. You have to start small and then and then it will snowball if it's effective and, and start really motoring. It's one small thing, isn't it, as you well know? Well, well I wasn't going to say that myself, but as you did. <laughs> but it's, it's exactly that. And I think I come back to the children again and, and often what they ask for in terms of actions is, is one small thing, you know. Aww. They're not really complicated. They'll say things like, I really want Mr Jones at school to know what's happened. That's their one small thing. But yeah. they want to be part of that. They want to be there when Mr Jones, they want to tell him themselves, but they might want someone to support them in that. It's, it's making sure that we include children meaningfully in the support around them. So we're not writing, you know, memos to the whole school to say, you know, Johnny's dad's been in prison, which is what children really fear. We're sitting down with them and saying, who who would it be helpful for you at school to know what's happened? And they'll often say, you know, not the whole school, but Mrs. Smith. I really like her. I know her and I trust her. And it's that one small thing. And then we go from there. And once, you know, that's established, then maybe someone else might need to know. But it's that. It's one child at a time, one step at a time, one small action at a time. Yeah. Well, all power to your elbow and I'd love to stay in touch to hear how it all goes when, when it hits the ground. But thank you so much for talking to me today and, and um, informing us a bit more about what is a really incredibly important piece of work. Thank you very much, Edwina. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. Justice is produced for one small thing by the London Podcast Company. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.